uh, a lot of the important concepts um, around someone understanding Bitcoin are, are there and they're not new. They actually have been around for a very long time. The thing is that we're now in this age in which we're seeing all these monetary experiments that we kind of forget how the way things used to be done. In that way, Bitcoin is a restorative technology in that it moves us forward. In this episode of Navigating the Noise, I'm joined by David Lawant, Director of Research at Bitwise Asset Management. We discuss how David's past experience as a traditional equities analyst translate to researching Bitcoin and other crypto assets. David also shares his thoughts on Bitcoin as digital gold, the rising DeFi space, and some interesting takes on the emerging crypto equity space. If you're looking for a broader understanding of the crypto ecosystem, then join us and listen in. The opinions expressed in this podcast do not necessarily reflect the opinion of Archetype Wealth Partners or its advisors. The mention of different asset types or securities do not constitute a recommendation for our clients. If you have any questions about the content of this podcast, please contact your advisor. Thanks, everyone, for joining today. I've got with me David Lawant, uh, Director of Research at Bitwise Asset Management. Always uh, good to talk to David and, and people within the organization. So, David, why don't you just give us a little intro of yourself, and then we'll kind of get rolling with uh, what we want to talk about around crypto today. Awesome. Hello, Kane. It's great to be here. Pleasure talking to you as always. Um, so yeah, I'm David. I'm the director of research at Bitwise. I've been at Bitwise since January 2020. Uh, before that, I used to work in, in another crypto firm. And before that, I used to be a sell-side equity research analyst. So I used to write those investment uh, recommendation reports, uh, rating stocks. I used to cover Latin American stocks because I'm originally from Brazil. And before that, I was a software engineer. So my migration to crypto was kind of a way to bridge my maybe slightly more technical early career with my finance career that developed later on. Cool, cool. And um, I spent a little while in the institutional equity sales world. Um, so read many of those uh, reports that that are ones like you probably wrote. I guess you're one of the early birds uh, that, that made that transition. Um, part of what, what I'm doing here on this podcast is talking about connecting the traditional financial guys with the crypto financial guys. Maybe you can tell us a little bit about what that process was like. You know, I guess coming in as as a dev or an engineer, maybe the technical aspects of crypto and Bitcoin didn't, you know, overwhelm you, but the environments are drastically different. Um, so what what was that move like? Yeah, that's a great question. And I think at that time, I, I, I learned about Bitcoin probably around mid 2014, but it took me a long time for Bitcoin to grow on me. That was like a two to three year process for me in that uh, I was very skeptical about Bitcoin as I guess most people are. Uh, and especially during that time, the learning curve was, not, was, was a lot steeper, I think, than it is today. So I actually, I started to look at Bitcoin uh, from, I've, I've always been interested in, in, in gold and these types of investments as, as like a hedge against uh, potential mistakes on, on the monetary front. 
So that's how I learned about Bitcoin straight from the digital gold narrative, which I don't think was even the leading narrative at that point. I think that point it was more about payments and uh, and that sort of stuff. But that's how I came into Bitcoin. So that was a very natural transition for me. The only thing is that it took me a long time to convince myself that Bitcoin could ever be an alternative to go. As I think we see a lot of people who come from, from that background, they, they kind of face this, the same difficulty. Uh, but over time, I yeah, I, I kind of um, got over it. And that's how I moved to the US, by the way. I took a year off, I did a master's degree to learn more about crypto, to understand if it would make sense to switch careers. And that's when I kind of saw that I think it was early enough. Uh, I felt like it was early enough in 2017 or so to make that move. Uh, it sounded a bit crazy at the time, and I couldn't talk to a lot of my friends. I, 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 I hesitated in telling them what I was, uh, what I was doing uh, until not very long ago, until like a year or so ago. Now, I think it makes a lot of sense and crypto is, of course, a much more established asset class. But my idea was that there wouldn't, at the time, there weren't too many people who had a research background and a financial research background and also interest in crypto. And I, I kind of thought that this, this was a field that would grow over time as more investors and more sophisticated investors started to get interested in, in crypto. So that's, that's kind of it. Yeah. And I mean, I think for the rest of the world, you know, a lot of people dismiss Bitcoin, uh, Ethereum, whatever your favorite token may be until probably really it felt like 2020, maybe 2019. Um, it had a lot going on in 17. One thing you mentioned, digital gold wasn't really the narrative when you started. Um, was that maybe a barrier a little bit? It, it does seem in the space, the narrative on what's the kind of focus of the the period changes a lot. Did that coming from a traditional background create hurdles? Was that a big deal at all? Yeah, I think for me specifically, the transition was a little easier because I was already interested in these things and Austrian economics and some money and that sort of stuff. But I, I definitely think I'm, I'm the exception within the mainstream uh, financial industry. I think for most people, uh, even though, if, even now, I mean, I think after the, the COVID situation and all the monetary expansion we've been seeing and all the fiscal deficits, of course, uh, potential uh, non-sovereign stores of value like gold and Bitcoin, they gained a lot of attention uh, from investors. But still, I mean, there's a fair amount of investors that don't see them as, as important in a portfolio. And, and that's fine. I think it's having two different opinions, that's that's what makes a market. Uh, but I think that's that that was kind of, uh, even though it gained a lot of participation, still have long ways to go. One thing that has been surprising us in, in a bitwise is how easy it has been for a lot of investors to grasp the DeFi narrative. That one is a lot easier than the digital gold one. And now that we have like, Bitcoin very firmly, I think, uh, in the digital gold realm. And then you have like all the DeFi stuff that is happening. I think that with, with real traction, with real usage and some very interesting and large protocols, I think that has been helping investors a lot to get their heads around this, this asset class in a more holistic way, I should say. 
Yeah. And I've, I've seen that a lot as well. I mean, even just from people asking questions, they usually don't come as much and say, well, tell me about Bitcoin or what's the deal. It's more, uh, what is Solano or what, what is, you know, yeah. Cardano, what is all these other tokens? Um, and there's nothing wrong with it if that's your fancy, but I, it does seem to, to me at least coming from that traditional equity world and then spending a lot of time in crypto, same as you, um, it does seem that investors, even on the institutional level is like, okay, cool. I get digital gold, but where's that story, that, thing that's going to make me real excited because that exciting part for Bitcoin was kind of 2014 to 2019. Not that Bitcoin's any less exciting today because there's a lot of stuff going on, but it's just not, you know, it's steady Eddie. It's the sturdy. It's not the flash. It's not the sizzle. I see that a lot. Is there, is that something that you think the institutions are looking for is just that excitement or what, what do you think that driver uh, with that, that new interest there just on DeFi? That, that's a great question. I think there are a few things. I think there's definitely some excitement in trying to find the next new wave of innovation. Uh, and I think DeFi uh, arises that interest in, in, in a pretty strong way, but I think there are other things there as well. The, the, the second one is that DeFi, I think it's easier in many ways for investors to get their heads around DeFi than it is about digital gold, because not, not every single investor wants to have gold in their portfolio. But when you talk about a new rail upon which you can build this financial system in a different way, maybe merge DeFi with fintech and let's say have this new fintech that runs on these DeFi rails and that could actually fulfill the, the potential of, of fintech, like as, as a really disruptive technology. Uh, I think that this is something that, that they've seen that, that's a story that they're familiar with. The idea of having a new uh, technology that allows you to do things in a different way, taking over or disrupting a whole industry. This, I think this is easier for them. And then there's also another point, which I think for institutional investors and or professional investors is also very important, which is that it's a lot easier to underwrite DeFi risk from a valuation standpoint than it is with Bitcoin, right? Because the way I think with Bitcoin, uh, I think about Bitcoin is as a commodity and it doesn't have a, a, an, an intrinsic revenue stream. So valuation exercises are are, are very hard to do, just like it's hard to do valuation exercises with gold or oil, with commodities. I think Bitcoin kind of fits in that category. But when you look at many of these DeFi protocols, they have revenues, right? Like trading mm -hmm. on Uniswap, the, the leading decentralized exchange. It's not it's not free. There's there's a fee, and this fee can be distributed in in many different ways across the network participants. But there is a scenario in which part of this fee will go to the token holder. So then you start getting something that looks like a net income or a dividend, and that allows you to do multiples or, or, or there, there's people who, who even do DCF exercises on top of these DeFi protocols. So I think that's also something that helps uh, this crowd to, to underwrite these types of investments. Yeah, and I can see that. I mean, it's easier to make a case. Um, you definitely, while you could argue that most of the 
applications being built these days in in the entire ecosystem is is for the most part just trade related trading you know applications so for the world it doesn't really move the needle other than if you want to invest or not um but i think that's just you know what's to come in the future and so uh it does make sense that that what would make people gravitate toward DeFi is seeing applications built on top of ethereum seeing use cases that never were there that resemble apis that we use in the rest of our life or i was reading a book in the about the build out of the credit card networks in the 1950s and it just the correlation between credit cards being built on the traditional banking networks of that time at a period when they were digitizing everything and and speeding up that processing capability and the connectivity and the interactivity so that more um, products could be consumed in an easier way makes sense it feels like DeFi today maxis tend to not like it from the bitcoin side you know it's not as secure to do all that stuff and i get it but that it does seem to generate more interest rather than you know having the steady eddy rails now there's probably a place for both uh, i think you can make a case for that do you lean one way or the other or is it just kind of wherever the research takes you it, it's a great question i think that bitcoin is very firmly in that digital gold and and i understand that a lot of the trade-offs that platforms like Ethereum do in order to develop these DeFi applications, a lot of these trade-offs are not acceptable for the Bitcoin use case, right? Bitcoin is the most decentralized, the most secure, the perfect or the, the great uh, candidate for being digital gold. And I understand that uh, Ethereum chose a different trade-off, but I think that uh, the, the, the DeFi ecosystem that is being born on Ethereum is very interesting. If Ethereum is going to be the ultimate platform of choice for all of DeFi, I, I don't know if that's that's true. I don't know if the, the answer to that is yes. And I don't know. And, and one of the reasons why we really like index investing is that you don't necessarily need to make that bet. in that if you have a well-constructed index, you can have the, the, the index will typically adapt to whatever is going on in the market and it will allow you to capture the it will tend to allow you to capture the best opportunities over time so that's why we like the index approach but i do think that the DeFi uh, uh ecosystem is very interesting the whole idea of an automated market maker which as i understand is a different way from establishing an exchange with the traditional order book model that we're used to seeing, I think that's a super interesting innovation. And there's a lot of other things that are going on on DeFi that I think are, are actual, actual interesting innovations to the point that we are seeing actually some DeFi services being replicated on Bitcoin in a different way, mm -hmm. probably in a more limited manner. And there's a bunch of technological innovations that might allow Bitcoin to do that a little better than it does today. But I think that's kind of a testament that whatever's going on in DeFi is, is an interesting thing. Yeah, and I've seen that. I mean, um, if you think back to 2015, 16, 17, uh, you know, that was just a hard no. Um, we're not going to, you know, eventually someone will build on top of it, but not until, you know, smart contracts aren't that cool. 
we're not going to do it until security's like 100% there. That narrative has changed drastically. Um, as you've seen the erosion of Bitcoin dominance over the last year, and there's other periods where it ebbs and flows, but um, I kind of believe, even though, you know, I love the sound money piece. I love the innovation piece. I believe there's room for both. Um, it's a little bit odd that it gets treated maybe like a zero sum game. And I think that's one point I'm trying to make here is that for those out there that still don't fully understand the space and maybe they're not going to, you know, go down the rabbit hole of either, either side, um, you know, don't let that stop you. I mean, is there something you guys do, um, from an education standpoint where you help, uh, individuals or wealth managers or investors kind of figure out, okay, what's the narrative that, that just makes sense to me because I believe this is long run technology or is there something you guys do there? Yeah, we, we do that to a fair extent. Matt Hogan, whom you know, is our CIO. He's been here uh, at the podcast uh, and myself, and, and we have a research team now. We spend a fair amount of time talking to investors, doing webinars, writing white papers. And we one of the things we try to do is to distill all these different narratives and all these different stories that are going on in the crypto market to the traditional investor in a way that they can understand. Uh, and I, I know you do that to a fair amount and very well, Kane. Uh, and as you know, it's it's a lot, it sounds a lot easier than it is because Absolutely. translating crypto concepts to a traditional finance audience while retaining the technical uh, the, the, the technical accuracy of the original argument is, is relatively hard to do. But this is something we do. We do to a fair amount. We, we write white papers. We write um, monthly uh, content. Uh, we do webinars. And I think that that's one of the things that we do at, at Bitwise to, to support our clients, to try to help them navigate this industry, which is relatively complex, uh, relatively specific, very dynamic. Think about how things are changing, just like the NFT movement that didn't, mm -hmm. was not here of, until a few months ago. And something that for most investors is not a huge part of their portfolios. So, so also a lot of the professional investors and allocators, they don't have that much time to research crypto because it's typically going to be a one to 5% alloc, maybe two to 5% allocation. So that's one of the things that we try to do a bit advice. And do you say, I mean, I definitely, um, that's the hardest part from my side is I definitely see it. Uh, people will come and ask you questions, want to know more about it. And you give them an answer and they're like, whoa, that was too detailed. And then you say, okay, well, how about this? And they're like, well, you didn't really tell me enough. And the, the biggest challenge that, that I've come across is this space is not a something you consume in a tweet thread. It's not something that you read one book or a couple of blogs you know, on, on you know, one a night for two nights or three nights. It's, it's just not really consumable there until you decide to spend five or 10 hours to really just grasp the underpinnings that it, it, it's just too hard. Um, is that kind of the experience you see on the institutional side as well? Or is, the, is there something that it generally takes this one thing clicking for people to say, oh, okay, aha, I get it. 
that's definitely the challenge. I feel like uh, Bitcoin uh, and crypto in general, the thing is that they touch so many fields that are not typically, that don't typically interact with one another, right? So you have the whole tech side, you have like applied cryptography, distributed systems, uh, free open source software development, and then you have economics, whether that's monetary economics, if you're more like on the Bitcoin side or game theory, if you're like on the tokenization side, there's regulation, there's there's finance, portfolio management. So there are just so many fields that I don't think are usually don't, don't interact so much with one another. And I think that's the main challenge uh, with crypto. But we've been talking to financial advisors for many years now doing thousands of calls uh, every, every, every week or month. And I agree with you. The, the thing is that every advisor is different. And then for some, uh, the, the narrative is going to be that they, they want to get a little bit deeper. Other ones wants to have a little bit more basic. We'd like to start with a few things. And the first and most important one is typically don't think of Bitcoin as a transactional currency. Don't think as as Bitcoin's bullish outcome that you're going to use Bitcoin to buy your coffee at Starbucks. Remo remove that, uh, that, that mindset. Think about it as an asset. Think about the technological breakthrough. And then we like to break down exactly what the technological breakthroughs are. We f I feel like this is something that helps a lot uh, remove a lot of the biases that people typically and naturally have against crypto assets. Yeah, and that's a good point to kind of lean on. You had put out a tweet um, today or yesterday about, um, you know, Bitcoin is more than what is money. It's really what is value. And you you put a picture of a book. Um, why don't you tell us a little bit about that? I, I happen to agree, but love to hear kind of your take and, and maybe that closes the gap for a few people out there. That's awesome. Yeah. And I think I went through that journey myself because as a social equities analyst, every single investment I ever came through, I needed to do a DCF exercise or I needed to come with a price to book or price to earnings multiple in order to compare that with the other alternatives that are in the market, right? And then Bitcoin comes and at least until now, I don't think there is a very good valuation model for Bitcoin. There are ways you can price it and there are certain dynamics you can see that will give you a supply and demand guide, uh, guidance, but I don't think there is a valuation model like the way you can have for a traditional asset. So that kind of got me thinking uh, into, into a lot of these uh, issues you're mentioning and, and where value comes from. And I guess a few of the things that basically uh, were helpful for me in order to understand Bitcoin more specifically were first, it's not because an asset doesn't have a revenue stream, it doesn't mean it's not valuable. Actually, a lot of the things that are very valuable and very uh, staple uh, in many portfolios, they don't necessarily have a revenue stream that you can predict uh, that you can predict very well. And, and some of them don't even have. So that's one thing that helped me get my head around Bitcoin. Uh, one thing we've written about is to think about Bitcoin as, a, as an emerging commodity. So as a commodity like gold, not gold now, but gold in the 70s. 
when people were trying to think what the place of an asset like gold was in a world of pure fiat currencies, which was a new thing at the time. Or a, maybe Ethereum is digital oil, but not oil today, but oil like 120 years ago, when people were still trying to learn what oil was good for, first for lightning, then for using as uh, for, for, for engines. But this is, there, there is a whole learning process that go and a whole price discovery process, which is, in my opinion, the most exciting part of the commodity cycles when people are learning what this commodity is good for and and there's the whole price discovery that goes along with it so i think that's that's how i think about crypto kind of a mix between uh commodity investing and venture capital investing in the sense that there's these whole technologies so that's one thing and 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 the last thing i would say and that relates more to the book which is the uh foundation of economic value which is that monetary assets and this is very specific very specific for bitcoin maybe less for the others uh they have very a, a very specific way to think about them in that they're a lot harder to reason about in terms of value versus a normal uh economic good like something that is going to have a defined use value for either production or either consumption but monetary goods, because they have this different uh, utility, I, I might say, they are a lot harder to reason about in terms of how to derive their value. Yeah, and that um, one good resource for that, and I think a lot of people, you know, it's it's kind of philosophical reading, but the Bitcoin standard, um, and yeah. to me, it was not all that much about Bitcoin, but it was perfect. Um, Austrian economics, principles-based, values-based, and it really just kind of got you in the mindset of what's really important and then adjusting your time preference because we, we the pendulum swung so far right now that, that everybody thinks that, oh, when I think about a good, it should show up at my doorstep within the next day. And so everything's gone that far right and, and Bitcoin standard kind of brings you back to center and says, you know, good thing that the things that last are those things that take a long, a lot of work to get. And, and, you know, part of the journey is the work and the things you learn. And so that instant gratification really kind of ruins us. And we've seen that in our money and we've seen that um, to me, that was sort of what your, your tweet and the quote kind of hit home. Cause it's, it's just that in a nutshell that, we, we look at our bank accounts and we look at all this value, but it's all really worthless if you don't have the time to use it or you haven't allocated it in such a way that it's meaningful somewhere else in your life down the road. I love the Bitcoin standard. One of my favorite books. Uh, one thing I really like about it is that it, it talks a lot about money and I think it only brings up, up Bitcoin like in the last one or two chapters. Yeah in that because i think that's kind of the uh, a lot of the important concepts um around someone understanding bitcoin are, are there and they're not new they actually have been around for a very long time the thing is that we're now in this age in which we're seeing all these monetary experiments monetary and fiscal side and whatnot that we kind of forget how the way things used to be done and i think that in that way 
Bitcoin is a restorative technology in that it, it moves us forward, of course, because it's uh, very easy to transport and, and, and highly divisible, and it has a lot of properties that we've never seen in a monetary commodity before. But in a way, it also kind of restores some of that, uh, some of that like uh, censorship resistant and inflation resistance properties that we used to have in monetary commodities in the past that, that we don't have in our financial system today anymore. Yeah, the, the deflationary aspects um, are what's missing. It's commonly thought of to be just such a bad thing. But when you when you break it down, and you really look at it, we're too inflationary in having some, you know, harder times, we learn good lessons, we learn, hey, maybe I shouldn't have spent my money so fast, because I actually needed some a decade later, or, you know, whatever it may be, those are the principles that are really talked about in the book. And um, teach man to fish was basically in there. Um, the, the one that uh, always sticks in my mind is uh, basically two guys on the shore, they were fishing, one spent an entire day making a fishing pole and the other guy's like, I don't know why you're doing that. I can just drop the string in. And he's kind of like, well, one day I'm going to have to go out further. And then he fishes, gets his food. And then, you know, a week later, he's building a boat that took two weeks. And the guy's like, I don't know why you're doing that. I can just catch fish right here. And he's like, one day I'm going to, and so fast forward decades later, and it's the largest ship, you know, uh, fishing ship operator in the world and that guy the other guy no longer has any fish because they just don't come to that spot anymore and he can't reach them um that's those lessons i think are really good and i think today in in the everything always on economy has kind of gotten lost uh, don't know that's a little long-winded explanation there but it's a good good piece um so what are some of the other things that just from a research perspective um, that you guys are looking at or that you find interesting and, and maybe you like to spend a little time on these days? It's great. I, I would say that today our main challenge is to find time because there's no lack of interesting things going on uh, in, in crypto in general. But we recently, we actually just published a white paper on crypto equities. This is a part of the market that we're super excited about. So these are stocks that have crypto exposure, right? So you can think of companies like Coinbase or the Bitcoin miners. And there's actually a full array uh, in, of companies that uh, serve the crypto industry. And there's also a very interesting pipeline of new companies that could be coming to the market, either to a SPAC deal or IPOs or, or direct listing. So this is an industry that we've been paying uh, a fair amount of attention uh, over the last few months and one that I'm very excited about. Yeah. And that, you know, that's interesting because one of the barriers to entry for a lot of clients like we have is just the kind of having to do this stuff outside of a system and not a great way to doing it inside the traditional system. And, um, you know, maybe I don't, I really don't want to break up my assets and, and move some here or there. Uh, so that, that's a, definitely a good, avenue and, and something to keep an eye on and watch because there are not not plenty but a handful of companies now that are publicly traded companies but do most of their work in crypto or, or true crypto so it's not 2017 where they're just slapping blockchain on the name and 
calling it a day. Um, exactly. That and there's a uh, th there is a very. I, I mean, the data is still recent. We don't have a very long price history here because most of these companies are new or at least new as as a proxy to to crypto. And but but when you look at the data, I mean, if you look at the correlations between the top ten stocks in our crypto equities index, we have an index called the Bitwise Crypto Innovators 30 index. And if we look at the correlations between those top 10 constituents and the crypto market, they range between 0.5, which is a level I call moderate, to 0.75, which is a level I actually call significant. And in some cases, even a little bit more. So at least from a correlation standpoint, there is a very clear case to, to make for using crypto equities as a proxy to crypto assets. And I think that makes sense because of course, stocks are such a familiar vehicle for people to invest in. Uh, but we can talk about that uh, if you're interested, but we actually think that crypto equities are actually an interesting industry in and of themselves. They have a very interesting combination of financial drivers that are not easily replicated in other industries in the in the public uh equity markets yeah so um and that's one thing i was thinking about the other day and if you look back at um the s p 500 and then the nasdaq so for 20 years they've kind of were this separate entity but in the last decade really the s p's most of the companies in there are driven by technology definitely the five or six companies that are driving the entire index is you know google apple and all the fang stocks um so really, you've seen as tech innovation has continued to dominate, the main index is really just as much a, I mean, it's not the same, but very much a tech index. Um, could you see if we just kind of crystal ball and look out maybe another decade or so when crypto is sort of taking over and all the networks are running everything and and everybody's full board and, and nobody's really asking what is Bitcoin or what is cryptocurrency, why should I own it? Do we maybe enter that same realm where most companies' networks are operating on some crypto network? I think it this potential is definitely there in that, I mean, in the early days, you used to have like internet analysts, right? People who used to analyze internet stocks. Then over time, the internet just became so pervasive in that basically you, you don't have that role anymore. I mean, you have the tech analyst, but you also, I mean, have companies that use technology in basically every part of their business. And I think something like that uh, could be, uh, could, could happen to crypto. I do think that crypto as an innovation is as important as the internet. And I think that uh, there is definitely an adoption process to, to take place there. But I, I do believe that at some point in time, it is a possibility that we're going to see many companies uh, hinging, hinged on, on, on crypto in many ways that sometimes the end client will not even be aware of. Up until now, I mean, the, the crypto industry, the, the interesting thing about the crypto industry is that it's an industry that grows insanely fast in, ter in terms that uh, basically, if you look at revenue growth, if crypto equities were a sector of the S&P 500, which they're not, not even Coinbase is part of the S&P 500 yet. But if crypto equities were a part of the S&P 500, nine of the 10 companies with highest growth would be crypto companies. 
and the other company is Moderna, which is one wow. of the manufacturers of the COVID vaccine. So I think that right now we're still in that phase in which we're seeing a lot of this uh, very impressive uh, growth uh, coming from a lot of these companies. But I think that it would be reasonable to expect that at some point in time, this growth will stabilize and then crypto will be a much more widespread technology across um, other other industries as well. And that's just when you get to the mass adoption. But I mean, the fundamental point there is that nine of the 10 largest growing companies, if they were in the S&P 500, would be crypto, not Google, Amazon, Netflix, the traditional guys that we've always seen. Um, and I think back to your point earlier, that's even with oil, if you look back a couple hundred years ago, I think they used to like get rid of oil that they found on the ground because they couldn't figure out what to do with it or they would just burn it off or I forgot exactly what it was. But the the volatility in those early days was all over the place. If you look at, you know, the dollar in the first two decades in the 1860s, it was pretty volatile. Um, you know, since it's gone straight down. And um, so I think where you kind of bring back that gold narrative you talked about. You can easily see the Great Depression in the 30s. It was gold versus fiat. Today, we've got a very, very similar environment. We're probably sitting as close as you could be to the 30s as possible. And it's that same narrative, kind of what is money, and you've got crypto fighting with with fiat. Um, It just feels like the opportunity is still very early, and there's so much opportunity out in the future. Is that, is that something you guys look at or is that just too subjective? Oh, we, we definitely look at that. And I think uh, you, you made some very interesting uh, uh, comments there. I think that there's definitely, I, I agree with that. Maybe we're like, it, it's sometimes hard to pinpoint what is the most, um, what, what is the period that most resembles where we are right now, I think I would agree with somewhere around the 30s. But having that said, uh, I think that one interesting thing with crypto and these crypto companies is that as the crypto, let's say the, the underlying crypto cycle is in this uptrend as it has been over the last year or so, these companies have been managing to deliver this very unique combination of very high top line growth, but also very high margins. So crypto is a very profitable market right now. The the, the median uh, crypto equity or the median crypto stock has a net margin of 37%, which is higher than almost every, I think higher than any industry in the S&P 500. So bringing back to the oil cycle that you mentioned, there's definitely some volatility I think that crypto is, I mean, we're moving to the mainstream. So maybe this volatility will start to tame down a little bit going forward, but I would expect it to remain high. But the interesting thing is that if if we are in a crypto super cycle and if we are still in the early innings of crypto as, 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 as this industry, these companies, they tend to benefit significantly uh, from the crypto press, from the crypto price cycle both on the top line side, but also on the bottom line side. And that's a combination that I think is relatively rare to see. And one of the reasons why I like crypto equity so much. 
And, and if you're running a business or you're thinking about running a business, building products or whatnot, where better to go than an industry that has huge margins? I mean, that's, that's just part, I mean, other than just personal interest of what you like to do and what you want to, you know, find something to deliver that the world consumes, um, the margins is, is what you do it for. So that, to me, that says there's a long ways to go because it leaves, once the competition comes in, uh, Peter Thill talks about it at zero to one, that once that competition comes in, those margins just compress. Um, and I think in a lot of industries, even internet-based industries, you see that compression because, you know, Dropbox comes out, groundbreaking technology, six months later, box.com's here. Uh, Netflix comes out two years later, Disney's rolling out, Amazon's got, you know, there's just no, there's just not much lead time. And so you have a little bit of a moat in crypto because it is complex. Um, you know, I'm sure we'll get regulations coming down. It seems like any year now, um, which makes sense for traditional people coming from the traditional world, that anarchist view probably is a little more of a turnoff than a, than a buy-in. Is that fair? Yeah, I think so. And I, I agree hundred percent with you in that if, if, if crypto or, or Bitcoin wants to become mainstream i think regulation is going to be part of it and i actually i am actually optimistic about where regulation is going to take us in the long run i always say that regulation doesn't doesn't happen at the speed that we would like it to and these things many times move like one step back and then two steps forward but my idea about crypto regulation is that as long as the regulation puts crypto in line with other assets or Bitcoin in line with cash, I think that's 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 fine. I think that's that's I would say uh, maybe fair, fair playing field. Uh, but also, I think that uh, crypto assets have a lot of room to or, or a strong possibility to win as long as the regulation puts them at the same level uh, and not make it. Uh, but the, the, the risk here is that regulation actually starts to to hamper uh, the crypto market. And, and then again, we're all, I think we typically move one step back, two steps forward, one step back, two steps forward. So overall on that trend, I'm, I'm pretty optimistic. And, and you also brought a great point in that into how sustainable those margins are. And I think this is one of the questions that we're going to see going forward. I think I agree with you 100% that crypto is complex and traditional mainstream companies, they, they haven't been involved in crypto for a long time. So they allowed companies to build a pretty strong moat, I think in, in some cases, like when you think about Coinbase, a lot of people compare Coinbase to the New York Stock Exchange, but actually I feel like Coinbase and these other uh, crypto exchanges they actually built the whole stack. They are the broker, they're the matching yes. engine, they provide the custody. So they ended up recreating the, the, the whole stack. And this makes it maybe a little bit harder for incumbents who want to get into crypto. But I, I definitely think that we're going to see more of that, maybe more acquisitions, uh, maybe more incumbents announcing initiatives that are related to crypto. And I think that's ultimately going to be good because these things grow the market. And, and yeah, that's, that makes me excited uh, about the industry. 
It definitely does feel like a buy or be bought um, industry. It's just harder. You know, I know the modern traditional bank has pretty much unlimited capital, but they they don't offer a product that most people want. They just they just don't. Um, and you're just seeing the outside interest going to Coinbase, Gemini, Kraken, um, whatever you may like, Swan, some of these other guys, and you're seeing these custody solution, trading desk, all it, it's really like 80s Wall Street. Um, I mean, even if you kind of look under the hood and look at the the fees that are there, the the spreads between the trading that are there. I mean, it's that that's what I I mean, just from on our side of the fence on the wealth management where people are just like, well, I still don't get it. And I'm like, yeah, you do. Cause you've been involved in it for your entire life. Um, it's just different words, but when you kind of look at the mechanics of it, um, yeah, it's, it's, I agree. It's a lot the same thing. Um, anything else you're looking at on the horizon or, uh, kind of big stuff that that's going on that you're paying attention to here? Yeah, we've been uh, we've been dedicating a lot of attention to crypto assets. Uh, DeFi is, of course, a big thing for us. Uh, we we have a DeFi index. Uh, we have DeFi uh, DeFi index product, so we should be publishing stuff on DeFi uh, relatively soon as well uh, by Ryan, who's our DeFi uh, analyst and our DeFi specialist. And I'm actually also starting to look more into uh, valuation of those DeFi assets. This is something that I've been uh, spending a fair amount of time on as well. And I think that uh, it's something that uh, attracts uh, a lot of investors into the space. And we're trying to understand a little bit more how the nuts and bolts work there and how these valuation multiples, how we can think about them. And, and make the proper analogies against the valuation uh, methodologies that we have in the traditional market. And, and that makes sense. I mean, I think that's probably the right way to go about it. If you just look at the pattern the last year or so, custody solved for the most part, OTC trading solved for the most part. It, it, there's always ways it could get better, but you know, bank research departments are getting smaller, not bigger. Um, yeah. But areas where they are getting bigger or what you alluded to earlier and what you just talked about is you know what's going on with all these crypto projects there's you know not enough time in the day to cover them all um not enough time in the day to cover to cover the likely the good ones um and i think you know investors from an investing standpoint they probably have an appetite to want to know you know, more about the projects, which ones they should focus on, what's going on rather than most people just don't want to do it at home. So you marry that in with an index approach and you're kind of diversified across. So you win some, you lose some, you don't win them all, you don't lose them all. Um, that a lot of what you're, what you've talked about when you guys are doing seems to make a lot of sense. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. I, I agree a lot with, with what you just said. And I think that as the asset class, matures we're going to see more and more of that and more new people coming into this market and this is an approach that could make sense for for a lot of them one big thing do you guys see much uh you hear a lot of governments talking about cbdc's central bank digital coins do you guys see much on that do you kind of avoid it is there thoughts or opinions that you know maybe you personally have or anything related to that space yeah, I, I have some opinions on that. I feel like the first thing 
when I think about CBDCs is I believe it's important to make a very big distinction between CBDCs and mm -hmm. public blockchain networks in that sometimes a lot of people put them in the same bucket, but sometimes, but actually most aspects, I cannot think how they can be more different from, from one another, right? In the sense that, uh, as, as I'm sure you know very well, CBDCs are a lot more about more control over the mm -hmm. monetary base. CBDCs are a lot more about more surveillance of the payment system. It depends a lot on how they're structured, but overall, that's kind of the end result that you get when you do something like CBDCs. While public blockchain networks, they're a lot more about less control over the monetary base. Uh, so, and, and more decentralization on, 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 on the payment and transaction side as well. So the way I think about it is that in the future, I think all the money we deal with will be digital. And I think there's going to be a, a state version of it or a more centralized version of it. And that's going to be the CBDCs, or maybe that's going to happen through stable coins in some markets, which is a model I, I personally tend to prefer uh, over CBDCs, but let's see what's, what's going to happen. And you're going to have the uh, more decentralized version of, of these assets that people could transact with. I feel like as long as we have the option uh, to choose uh, which asset we can transact with, I think that's that's a good scenario. And But I feel like that's, that, that's the uh, environment that we're going to see uh, going forward. Uh, on the CBDC side, more specifically, I definitely think that we're going to see a bunch of countries uh, rolling out their CBDC projects. It looks that China is moving really fast with their project. There's this chatter about the uh, Beijing Winter Olympics as being this big uh, tryout for, for their CBDC project. And I would expect to see more countries coming that way, which also kind of speaks to why things like Bitcoin are also important in that we could have the option to to which type of media to transact with. That's a good point. John is well well ahead of everybody else. I, I think I share your thoughts on CBDCs. I see where they fit in. It's not, in my opinion, crypto. Um, if you look at it, I mean it, it's digital currency, digital asset, but I think we kind of agree on that. But you know, there's a place if we end up with one wallet where we don't really have cash anymore, but we have this cash equivalent, and then we have all these other tokenized or security assets sitting in one wallet. So all of our lives become easier. Um, China led us, you know, arguably led us with QR codes. Uh, they've been full bore on QR for years now. You know, honestly, it took the pandemic to get the U.S. on board, but um, that those are all benefits. And I think those are things when you tie this notion of value with these digital connections that make our lives better. I mean, what you can't, can't get much better than that, uh, regardless of, you know, who wins the narrative of what's the best coin. I, I agree a hundred percent with you. And I think you bring a very good point in that, uh, normalizing the use of digital wallets actually, I think could be one of the main triggers for crypto adoption. Uh, and I, if that comes through from stable coins or CBDCs, I think that can actually be a pretty positive thing for, uh, crypto in general. 
Yeah. I mean, once, you know, not to pick on them, but once the grandmothers are kind of doing it and comfortable with it, I mean, there's just not, there's not, not much else to, to do other than roll it out at that point. And I feel like 2020 with, you know, most people getting comfortable with zoom and getting comfortable with being full-time on the internet and doing your grocery shopping and all those things, it just makes it easier when you can kind of click it from your phone. So, um, well, that's, that's about all I have, unless you've got anything uh, else you want to cover. Um, I, I definitely appreciate you coming on today. And if not, if you want to just tell everybody where they can find you and um, maybe some of the research you guys put out where they can find that. No, that's awesome. I think we covered a lot of ground. I had a great time, Kane. Uh, happy to be back uh, and chat more about crypto. Uh, you can find us at bitwiseinvestments.com. We have an area uh, within our, our website where you can look at our resources and then you're going to see our white papers and a lot of the material we produce. Uh, you can also find me on Twitter on dlawant, D-L-A-W-A-N-T. Uh, sometimes I post some, some stuff over there too. But this was great. Uh, thank you for having me. Perfect. Thank you.